Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast, Kerry Layton. Hello, Amy. Oh, I have a vocal priestess in the house. <laughs> you, you do indeed, yes. <laughs> and what is a vocal priestess? Please tell us all. Well, I just, I'm a singer, um, a songwriter, performer, entertainer, and I just, it, su- it really sort of suited me. I don't know, I just liked the idea of, um, yeah, the sort of high priestess energy. Uh, but being a vocal priestess, you know, so it's kind of just it's it's uh I feel like it anchors in my um it anchors in my spirit, I suppose, like a vocal priestess. It's a bit cheeky, you know. It's kind of yeah. Fun, I think it says powerful. a lot. Of, yeah, it says a lot about your character straight away, doesn't it? <laughs> what you see is what you get with Kerry Layton. So tell us what it is you're doing right now, Kerry. Well, right now you are coming to me um, on lockdown. So we're all on lockdown. Um, I've been running my agency, Dixie Bird Records, which I'll tell you more about. And I've just started a vintage performing arts academy. So I've gone back to teaching, which we'll talk a little bit more about because it's really linked up to me, my very, very, very early roots and passions. I trained as a youth worker and a drama teacher um, years ago when I was 18 I went to Russia and did a youth work degree which was totally random and came back and worked as a teacher and a youth worker before I got into performing arts so for me it's done a full circle so that's where we're at right now we're kind of running courses I'm doing lessons I'm teaching children teenagers inspiring the next generation of performers and not just performers either like using performing arts as a conduit to develop confidence and um, soft skills and you know empathy and you know all the fabulous things that live entertainment and acting do so that's where I'm at right now and um yeah what else have I been doing we've just been working on some original material as well so I've been, I've been a singer for years and I've worked a lot with jazz and with blues which is another reason where the vocal priestess comes from it's very anchored in that early blues gospel like Mahalia Jackson is a huge inspiration of mine. If anybody's listening, um, I love those old spirituals because they're just so full of life and, and joy. So, um, yeah, so I've been kind of working on um, what I'm doing right now is I've just retired one of my early shows, my cabaret act. I've just retired it fully. I've retired my solo act, my covers act. And with the Dixie Bird Records, which is an agency and a um, label, we're only doing like private and corporate events with the agency, and I'm only doing covers with my duo, The Sweet Spots. So I've kind of just been like shedding away a load of old layers to reveal like what's really in line with what's my future holds, I suppose. So I've been doing a lot of stuff on the guitar, writing music, doing a show called Songs of Praise. So Songs of Praise, uh, it's basically a show where people are writing in with their songs of thanks. And I've been writing their stories 
of praise into songs on the guitar. And it's a really lovely story. Um, it's a lovely show, which I've been doing. So I don't know where that's going to go yet. I've been sort of developing that a little bit. But yeah, my a aim is to just start writing more original material with that. And in that in that line with like vocal priestess, you know, it's kind of like, it's a bit of a play on, it's a, it's a play on that, um, I mean, it's not religious. It sounds religious, but it's not religious. It's just, like I say, it's it's kind of just flipping everything on its head, you know what I mean? And just people being like um, coming together and having some connection with music. In a... Brilliant. So, Kerry, that's what you're doing now. What were you doing before lockdown? Before lockdown, I was working in my full time in my agency, Dixie Bird Records which as I said, it's it's not a label yet. We had planned to produce the label in 2021. Whether that's still going to happen in January next year or not, we don't know because we were, from a financial perspective, we were piling the money in from the agency. So what I was doing before lockdown was working really hard, creating, producing and selling bands Hollywood vintage themed theatrical style show bands, anywhere from solo acts up to 25 piece, 30 piece orchestras. So, and we were doing a lot of stuff before lockdown. We were getting stuff like uh, we were headlining a blues festival. We were um, scheduling a lot of acts around the country for VE Day. And I mean, it really just this year, it really took off for me. Like that week between Christmas and New Year, which is like the last time you you know you'd think that your phone would be ringing but it just it was mental it was like two and a half years worth of solid hard work building the agency and that period between Christmas and New Year my phone just did not stop ringing people were like we've been sent your phone number can you do this can you do that I was like wow this is amazing so before lockdown the first three months of the year I was absolutely flat out I was just solid every day working in the business booking acts out all over. And then obviously, as we all know, the rest is history because <laughs> it was overnight, you know, we lost all of that. That way. I mean, it's not lost. It's just been postponed. I don't like to think of it as lost, actually, because nothing ever is truly lost. So it's, um, yeah, we've, we've been thrown into a new pivot, which we'll come on to. But I suppose my story takes me back. The reason we're here is because my story takes me back to the first time I pivoted my business, which was the start of Dixie Bird Records. And what happened there? What was the shift change for you? Well, the shift change for me, and I'm circling the word pain on my piece of paper because you said, we're going to talk about the pain you've been through. <laughs> so before Dixie Bird Records, I was a successful cabaret singer. I toured Europe. I played in pubs, clubs, festivals. I um, moved to London after a successful European tour. I played in the Swiss Alps. I played for royalty. I mean, this was all amazing stuff, just especially for... For me, you know, just like a working class girl, military background, just like fell in love with singing. People think that singers of professional singers must have been doing it since before they even came out of the womb. And for me, it was a very different story. I grew up in quite a strict household. My creativity was definitely oppressed. Um, it wasn't encouraged to the point where, to the point I would personally encourage a child, you know. 
and I was that my voice was actually shut down at a very early age I was told to shut up <laughs> singing <laughs> and what's wonderful actually because me and my mum have got a great relationship now and she's my biggest fan you know and it, I almost I almost say to her you're kind of um abuse in that area your you know your oppression actually is what made me do you know what I mean it kind of it it was like that was a long journey for me anyway but um but yeah so I wasn't I wasn't a professional singer my whole life I, I came into um acting and performing a little bit later on I actually trained as a teacher and a youth worker originally and then came into performing in my 20s so it was a really um it was a very natural expression of my soul to start singing jazz and blues and it really came I was a professional actress and a stage performer before I became a singer and I kind of whittled away everything to this point where I was left with this like gem of what my true soul's voice was and it was singing jazz and and blues and gospel you can hear my voice is quite naturally quite raspy and um, it suits that so it was really, it was an amazing journey to go on up to that point of my life anyway. So then, I mean, it was overnight. It literally, I decided I was going to leave away, leave all of my other jobs. I was going to leave everything else and I was going to focus full time on music. And within a year, I'd recorded an album. I'd flown around the world on a tour. I joined a band and I got a lead part as a singer in um, an Arts Council funded play. And so it was amazing. So I went on this amazing journey. I moved to London. I, you know, slept on my friend's couch for uh, two months with literally hardly any money, living off diet shakes, you know, like to try and save up money for a deposit. Somehow managed to get myself into the position of, of like renting a house. You know, these things sound like you take them for granted, but actually as a gigging musician, you know, to get that much money, I think actually somebody even lent me the chef in the place I got a job when I moved to London, he lent me the money for my deposit and my first month's rent, you know, it was just like so grateful for the people that I've met on the way. So they, so I just, I had this great adventure and, and, and then the first two years of living in London, I mean, I, I really built myself up. I got professional contracts across the city. I got signed to an agent, um, the same agent as Lady Gaga uh, I was just like smashing it. I was absolutely killing it, you know, with this act. My act at the time was called Lady Layton, and um, Lady Layton. My diction is terrible on my own name. How awful! <laughs> so Lady Layton. So I that year, two thousand and sixteen. Um, like I say, I was killing it, and then I had a few really horrendous situations which happened, and the one that we're going to talk about now, which is what was pivotal in me creating my now company happened after I'd just headlined a show at Alexander Palace to a crowd of 60,000 people it wasn't like on a big stage with everybody out there it was like the parade sort of thing but you know I headlined the parade in fact we I also creatively produced and directed that with a team of engineers from the from Alexander Palace it was an it was an absolute career milestone it was absolutely amazing and um we worked really really hard on it and I was like I had my seven-piece band I wrote a song had it completely 
charted everything. My band were on the back of a truck, you know, going around the parade. I mean, it was just like what dreams are made of. It was amazing. And the next day I, I had a, a massage. I think it was like the week after I took a few days off and I had a massage. And I, I tell you what, it was really crazy because I had this voice in my head which said, um, you're going to remember this day for the rest of your life, you know. And when you get voices like that, sometimes you get your intuition, you're like, oh, God, get a grip, you know. What's my what's my mind playing tricks on me now? <laughs> and the the masseuse said, is that pressure okay? And I was like, yes, it's great. Um, you know, probably I would have said something to her like, actually, you can go much harder. <laughs> but, like, I came out like, yes that's great like robot voice honestly it was terrifying it was absolutely terrifying my voice had completely gone into spasm I like my voice was just like hello <laughs> and I was like oh my god what am I gonna do I've lost my voice um so I I'd already been in to the hospital because when I moved to London, actually, one of my coaches, singing coaches at the time, she said, um, you've got a problem with the, with, your with your vocal cords. There's something there. And uh, so I'd been in and out of hospital for a good two years with them sort of looking down the, uh, looking with a camera down the throat and stuff and looking at the vocal cords. Um, and they thought that I had nodules. So I, 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 this journey had been quite ongoing anyway. Um, and I'd already started to kind of put into place lots of really good vocal hygiene. And as I say, you know, I hadn't always been a professional singer. This was like, this is a much later edition later on in my life. So, you know, it was possible that I picked up some bad habits and, you know, I, I, I wasn't. So I, you know, I was working with my coach. But then this happened, you know. So luckily, because I was already in with the NHS clinic, I managed to get seen by one of the country's top surgeons and I'll remain ever forever grateful to him Dr John Rubin um I might send him this podcast actually because <laughs> they were, yeah yeah, yeah. They, they, they were amazing and um they and my speech and language therapist as well um Brian um they were just fantastic you know they really really caught me at a time which was pivotal like if they hadn't have got me into that clinic if I'd have been seen by any other surgeon they would have taken too much off the vocal cords so I'll, I'll go on and explain what actually happened because it's um it's pretty devastating <laughs> you know and I'm, I'm blessed that I saw this surgeon because he is private he works in a private clinic specifically with singers and professional voice users so he really knew what he was doing so yeah so I went in and they just took me straight in for an operation it was like a week before Christmas no sorry it was a week before the start of the Christmas season so it was like sort of end of November they said yeah you're gonna have to come in for this operation so I had to cancel all of my work um and go in in a way thinking about it it was great prepara preparation for the coronavirus this experience <laughs> I learned some really amazing skills during this period of my life but yeah, so I went in and they looked at my vocal cords. They took me straight in for an emergency operation. And they found that I'd actually tore my vocal cords. Now, when I came out of this operation, I was told that 
well before sorry when I went into the operation they told me that they they did not know whether I would ever sing again like that was the that was literally what they were looking at like there was a chance that I could make a full recovery but there was a chance that I also might never ever ever recover and there was a chance that it could completely change my voice um like singers that have gone in the past I can't remember off the top of my head but I think it was Julie Andrews where she had an operation and it completely destroyed her voice like um there were some singers that changed their voice forever like maybe that was Julie Andrews sorry I can't remember off the top of my head I'm useless with facts like that but it it when you have an operation like that it can completely change your tone you know I've got a natural blues and jazz voice it's very important that I had that clarity that that um that vocal fry is a very natural part of my vocal ability so uh, yeah so it was really terrifying because we went into this operation and they said you know you have to sign this document which says you know you take full responsibility for the operation and we don't know what's going to happen afterwards you might never sing again you know and, and you, how how did you feel when you heard that like absolutely completely terrified dumbfounded and the that was the end of a very difficult year for me like that 2016 to 2018 was a very 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 dark period of my life a a lot of stuff happened you know not just this vocal operation so to imagine having that you know that singing was the one thing that saved me throughout a period of depression dealing with a lot of other life issues singing was and remains the way that I connect with the world and the way that I heal myself and it you know so to be told you know you're already on the floor like you're already dealing with more than the average person should probably ever deal with in one part of their lives and you know you're on the floor and the universe is like take that you know we're gonna remove the one thing that you know you're just like oh my god I can't take anymore so it was like this real stripping away almost like what we're we're in lockdown now it's like we've been faced with this complete moment of staring ourselves right in the eye there is absolutely no getting away from what is in your core and that is what happened to me like I I went into that operation on my own I've got no family in London I think a guy I was seeing at the time picked me up and brought me back to the house which was really sweet (laughs) because I, I wasn't well enough to get a taxi they wouldn't let me go without getting a taxi um so you know it was just this really weird situation where you're just like oh my god I went in I signed this doc piece of paper I come out and you can't talk you're not supposed to speak to speak for two weeks after the operation so it was Christmas time you know I didn't say a word for two weeks over Christmas I made a great palace my living room was like a one winter wonderland it was amazing I one of the cope, one of my main coping mechanisms for that actually, I I got really dressed up one day, and I took a sign out that said "mute, um, but cute," <laughs> just for a laugh. And it was a great social experiment. I got really dressed up, so glamorous, with a big fur coat, and I went into London. I went to all the Christmas markets, went for the to the like museum, went to um, 
the National Portrait Gallery. And it was very interesting. This is probably another conversation, but it was really interesting how people respond to you when you've got a visible disability. And you're like, I can hear, you know, I can't, I, there's nothing wrong with me. I just can't use my voice. You know, it was, I might have to do a blog about that because it was a really interesting um, social experiment. But going back to the point here, that two week period, I just, you know, I was absolutely, I just had to focus on complete, I want to say positivity, but that would be lying because I was positive, but it was also the hardest thing I've ever gone through. So it was like, I did a lot of sleeping. There was a lot of resting my body because I'd been through such heavy trauma. Again, this is similar to lockdown, you know, like what we've, what we're going through at the moment it's like there was a period of where we just needed to really rest and then I just let these like you know I let stuff bubble up to the surface do you know what I mean because I was facing I was facing the facts which were you know there was two possibilities one was I was going to a few possibilities one I was going to come out with a crisp and clear voice worthy of a West End stage production which is not what I wanted you know <laughs> it's like not what not what I wanted two I was going to end up with a voice which was butchered and was never able to sing ever again and the third option was that I would get a healed voice and I could continue having a career as a performer like I ha when I was laying there like on my deathbed <laughs> on my sofa for those two weeks I just had to like I had to really get very connected to what my actual why was which is great that we're doing this podcast but it really was that like what do you want to do you know and and I think it was that that really pulled me through it as well because once I got that I knew why did I want to be an entertainer why did I want to sing why did I want to elicit some fant fantasy why did I want to create a luxurious act which people was nostalgic which would kind of transport people to a different place and time you know to to kind of inspire a sense of glamour in in the mundane you know like these things were what really pulled me through why did I want to bring acts to the world which were so which were really well produced you know and and it was literally in that moment that I that I birthed my current company Dixie Bird Records and it's bizarre with all that clarity that actually you didn't even know if you had a voice at that point. So you were making all these big decisions based on the fact that you believed you would have a voice. No, I made those decisions based on what I wanted because I thought, well, if I can't sing, that is still what I want. So if I can't sing, if in two weeks when I try to speak again for the first time and my voice comes out like Phyllis off Coronation Street... <laughs> then then I I still have to put this out into the world you know I still had that desire to create music shows which people would connect with in that way and elicit that feeling of glamour and creating those what everything I just described so I decided in those moments that I would do it but using other musicians or I would create a platform this label, you know, and I say label with inverted commas because we're not officially a label yet. We haven't produced our own 
records yet well actually it's a lie we've done one record we have done a record and um, but we've just focused a lot on the agency it was in that moment I thought well I'm going to create how I saw it in my head was kind of like um like a really boutique shop you know with these like beautiful little boxes that you could pick up and go, oh well I've got um, a party and I want this you know and I could like offer this you know opulent music box and you open it and it's like there's a you know a show band in there do you know what I mean <laughs> and I was like well I can still produce that like I don't have to be the singer for me to produce what I want to produce so that's why that was born but and how and how close is your voice now to how it was before it's even it's better than ever yeah it's they he he gave me the voice which I should have do you know what I mean he's given me my voice you know I could talk a little bit about that if you're interested because it was yeah definitely yeah it was interesting because he when we came out of the operation obviously they still said he said he get you know he gave me as much fo- like hope as he could he was like I, I know I'm a good surgeon I've done a really good job but there's no guarantees you know with the proof will be in the pudding kind of thing but what they did when they operated so he looked down and he could tell that I had, I'd been born with a cyst. This is amazing what they can tell from, you know, scar tissue and the ages of, uh, of vocal cords. So to everyone who doesn't know, vocal cords is kind of like uh, two very sensitive, white, nerveless. So there's no nerves, otherwise it'd hurt every time you spoke. Um, kind of, you can imagine them like loose elastic bands and they flap with the air that comes through. So if you imagine your hands together going down and then the, the higher your voice goes, the, t- the tighter they get. So it becomes um, like a blade of grass, you know, and that's how you're creating the, the, the sound. Well, he found that I'd been born with a cyst on my left vocal cord, which had burst around the age of 13, which I'd completely forgotten about because when I was 13, I did lose my voice and I lost my voice for three weeks, um, which happens when you have a cyst which bursts. And it created something called a sulcus. And um, a sulcus is like, I'm making this with my hand, but you can't see it. It's like a, if you cup your palm, it creates that little dip. So it created a little dip in one of the vocal cords. And I carried on. And then when I was kind of last year of university we did a show and I still wasn't a professional singer by this point in fact I hadn't even discovered that I was a singer at this point but our before our last term at show doing a show at university anyways my last term we did a show and um something had happened around that period of time when I'd screamed really 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 loudly like a sort of a proper belly scream like (laughs) and I lost my voice again and I remember at the time I lost my voice and I had to do this play because it's videoed and I really am like Phyllis off of Coronation Street in that video. It's like, Urgh. but what happened when I did that scream then was I tore through the vocal cords. I tore through the sulcus that it had created. So this left vocal cords absolutely destroyed, you know. So it's a miracle that I was even a singer. Do you know what I mean? This is mm. why it was so like, amazing that I could even still that I'd even like they said to me after that operation we cannot actually believe that you have even got a career as a singer because on paper you're medically you shouldn't be able to sing because your left vocal cord is destroyed you know 
Um, so he, but he's amazing, Dr. John Rubin. So they, he did laser surgery. Oh, and sorry, just to go back as well, what had happened is that I'd, I'd sung for sort of four years professionally by that point, up to the point where I had robot voice. Um, and I think it just, it just spasmed. So it had completely gone hard and still, like it didn't move, but the other vocal cord was still vibrating, which is why I had the robot voice, you know. So when they operated, they put some, um, I think they put some like steroids in and they delicately shaved away. And this, this is the miracle. And this is so good to talk about this because this literally is my voice, right? He, he realized that the unique characters of my singing voice were, were created partly because this sulcus, the other vocal cord had compensated to fill it whilst I was singing which was giving me a really unique vocal fry. So it gives me a very unique sound. And he was like, when he was operating, he was like, I know exactly what to do. So that he didn't take away all of the scar tissue from that area so that my voice would still close in that particular way, which is amazing. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, you know, the, it, he said to me afterwards, if you'd have seen any other vocal, sur uh, vocal surgeon in the country, they would have butchered your voice. And he knew exactly what he was doing. So, um, yeah. Had he heard, he hadn't heard you sing before or anything, had he? Y yeah, they'd heard me sing. Yeah, because oh, okay. I'd been seeing them for a little while. So they'd done some, some speech and language therapy and stuff like that. So they could, they knew what my vocal range was. You know, they knew what it, what it was capable of and what it was being held back. Because I, I also just lost the, an octave off my full range. I was four octaves when, you know, I, when I trained my voice after discovering that I could sing, I trained my voice, I went up to four octaves, which is huge. That's like um, mezzo-soprano, isn't it? It's, it's just four, four octaves is a lot, but I lost that now. So it's some, I've got like three now, but I, I clawed it back because after that, before that operation, it had gone down to kind of two really. So, um, yeah. So what does it mean for you to have your voice back? How does that feel? Well, I can tell you it's been it's been a long journey. It really wasn't as simple as just like I spoke again after those two weeks and it was okay. You know, there was a huge integrate reintegration that, that took another year and a half, which again I'm sure is similar to what we're going through now with with lockdown because um I had to repair my finances, I had to repair my voice, I had to retrain my voice. It I mean the first gig that I did was Valentine's Day after that operation. And I, it was awful. It was absolutely, it was the worst gig of my life. I came home, I cried my eyes out because I thought, oh my days. So it was, you know, there was setbacks and there was like, you know, it was like I was climbing up a mountain, do you know what I mean? It certainly wasn't like overnight. So I managed to really get a relationship with my voice in those moments. And I hadn't had that before. It was like, oh, I can sing. Great. Let's do everything. <laughs> and then it was like, mm -mm. no, you can't. And then it was like, okay, let's listen to my voice. Let's work with this. So I had to change to give my voice that gift back because I feel like my voice has given me so much. I was very lost, you know, before I became a singer, I felt very lost in the world. I didn't know where my place was. I didn't know how to communicate, to connect with people. I and the minute I started singing, I was like making friends I would never have dreamt of making 
I was like flying around the world doing these amazing shows and I felt like that my voice was then like hey like you need to respect me <laughs> I'm your friend you know I'm gonna give you all these things this is a gift you know and it's a gift to be able to put it back out to the world as well so so yeah me and my voice went on a, a little journey um so I was, I'm very grateful to have that but it's taken a long time and I had to change my entire life like it wasn't just like woohoo I've got my voice back I can go party again or I can you know go to festivals I, my voice will really tell me if I've overused it I can't eat spicy food past a certain time of the day. You know, I have to like really watch my um, drinking. I can't drink more than seven units a week. You know, smoking obviously is out of bounds. Occasionally, I mean, God, I'm a woman in her thirties. You know, who doesn't? <laughs> I'm not advocating smoking, but I'm saying that when you, you know, it's it's that's a hard rule to put on. You know, somebody who was a party girl. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the life and soul of the party to to suddenly have seven units a week. So it's changed my whole life. I got a dog as well. Lovely Memphis. Lovely Memphis. Uh, this, she was a she was part of my healing journey. Out of this, she was a commitment to my future a healthy singer I came up with the the term vocal athlete which I've put as a big sign in my bedroom in my in my kitchen sorry which to to remind me to fill my body with essential nutrients you know the dog was definitely a big part of that it was like you know the social aspect of having a dog yeah I've met her I've been lucky enough to meet her she's beautiful she's a lovely girl she's well, she's looking at me now like, you're talking about me. Yeah, <laughs> they know that. She gets more Instagram likes than I do. <laughs> and so she should. <laughs> so Kerry, you, you've explained to me that you've had so many painful times in that two-year period where you described as being a really dark sort of time in your life. And out of that was born Dixie Bird Records. Tell me about how that came about and why did you choose that name? Yeah, Dixie Bird Records. Well, I came up with that name because, as I said, I was laying there thinking, how am I going to get this message out to the world? How am I going to inspire the world in this way? Um, so I really started to look at what my journey was into singing. And as I touched on before, I hadn't always been a singer and it's something that had been very suppressed in me from an early age. So it's only when I got my own house I rented a house in Lancaster and I lived there alone and it's only then that I started to really sing and I sang every single day and I had a really kind of unlikely source of inspiration um, and I'd, I'd sung a little bit before when I was living in Kent I'd done some singing in my other shows but I'd not taken it seriously and when I moved to Lancaster I just suddenly was like I really like this you know so I started to mess around with some jazz standards and getting like a Ella Fitzgerald's Tisket a Tasket and just going on such a playful journey with all of these songs. And one day the neighbour came around and he knocked on the front door and I thought they were going to tell me to keep it down. Like I was so used to people telling me to, to shut up singing that I just thought, God, no one would ever like to hear me sing, you know. And he was a guy from next door. And um, 
he was a recovering alcoholic and he said to me the most beautiful thing he said listen love (laughs) listen love every time you sing and I was like oh god here we go I'll be like I'm sorry he goes no no every time you sing me and my mate right we turn the telly off and we get the pint glasses out and we turn them the other side up and we sit and listen to you through the wall and we're recovering our colleagues who so just come out of rehab and I tell you what it's bloody beautiful you know they're like... and it was just so unexpected and it was like wow that connection and we spent the whole summer like I, I lived on a very steep street and he brought his um wheelie bin out (laughs) to stand on it so we could look over the back wall and talk to me and we just had a whole conversation around music and he'd be like play the one about the basket again and I'd be like tisket a tasket yeah okay so I'd play that and sing it (laughs) and it was just such an amazing connection to have about music this really old music and this is like 1930s music you know and and also around that time connecting a lot with the stories of the the singers you know the blues singers the who had really hard lives as well you know and just finding that kind of like um peership I suppose in those women's stories so when I was naming Dixie Bird Records I just thought back to that moment I thought what what was the pivotal moment for me where I found my voice like what what happened because that year that little bit of unexpected encouragement from him and a couple of old boys at a jazz club in Lancaster who heard me sing who encouraged me to go for my audition that was the year that everything changed that was like 2013 I got my first part 2012 sorry 2013 I got my first part in official play you know and all that stuff I said before that was the year it happened that was the pivotal year so I wanted to really honor these guys next door and I looked up what the name was of one of those detective devices you know that you put up to the ear because I thought that was just so beautiful and it was called the Dixie Cup and I thought well the Dixie Cups is already taken you know and I thought maybe I could be Dixie Cup Dixie Cup I I don't know I started to play around that and I thought "Mm, no but Dixie I like Dixie because also it refers to Dixieland which I love because it was the first production. It was the first, the New Orleans trad jazz marching band. It was the first kind of commercial product to be pressed onto vinyl. And it was the first, and now everybody sees it as a, as a genre. It wasn't the genre, it was the name of the band, but I liked the way that they packaged it. And that appealed to my kind of creative producer nature. And I thought, okay, Dixie, we like that. We like Dixie, right. And then I thought, what, was the thing that happened I I just felt like I really wanted to tap into that essence of like what what gift he gave me and I just had this image of a bird flying out of a cage and I was like I got my wings I literally got my wings by the end of that year summer I'd gone on tour to Ibiza Spain France I'd done the whole thing and I came back and he had passed away and so that for me was just such, you know, I feel a bit emotional thinking about it now because I don't know him. You know, I only know his um, first name. His name was Stuart. I didn't know his surname. I don't know anybody who knew him. You know, he was a man who struggled a lot with his 
mental health. And he gave me such a beautiful gift, you know, and that now is a gift which I can go and give to other people, you know. I honestly don't know what would have happened without him, really, that bit of encouragement. So, yeah, Dixie Bird, that was it. And there we go. What a magical story. My goodness. I am I'm a little bit tear, one well, little bit tearful. I'm sitting here. I'm so emotional. I'm, I'm, it happens every show. I don't know oh. why. <laughs> it's like, but, you know, every time someone comes on the show, they're just so passionate about what it is they're doing and it, you can't not be moved. And, and I know that a lot of people have reached out to me in, from the audience and just said, oh my gosh, that was just so moving, you know, so emotional. And it is because, you know, listening to you finding your voice, hearing how you were finally able to use your voice and, and you know, you didn't have to ask permission. And you then found someone who who valued your voice enough to keep it, to maintain it the way that you wanted it and to, to know the, how important that was. I mean, again, how lucky were you to have that amazing surgeon right there to, to keep that voice for you? Blessed, truly blessed. Yeah. yeah wow so how could people get Ooh. in touch with you Kerry <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need a little glass of water after that <laughs> mm. how can people get in touch with me you can get in touch with me via I would say go to my personal website because we've got three websites we've got one for my personal singing one for the record label and one for my new academy so I'll, people... put, I'll put them all in the show notes anyway but so oh, that'd be fine. awesome yeah but but I've, I've built um I've just built a portfolio website so Kerry creates and you can go there and it has links to my blog it has links to Dixie Bird Records which is if you like old school vintage jazz and blues there is loads of great stuff on Dixie Bird Records there's an awesome blog that we've been writing um, with loads of links to some really cool books and films and things like that that will inspire you yeah but Kerry Creates is a place to go you can see all of my creative endeavors there oh it sounds wonderful so final message for the audience please Kerry final message oh I would say it's really everything that's kind of saved me through this whole journey not saved, but made me, I suppose, helped me to keep in the, a sort of state of energy, which has kept, kept me open to possibilities because those were some really hard times. And um, the one thing that really kept me alive, I suppose, was having a sense of play. And I never lost that childlike sense of play, um, whether it was living in Lancaster and having that neighbour and you know, not really knowing what my life's destiny was, but just playing. I just played with those songs and it opened up that connection with the neighbour who gave me the gift of a lifetime. And when I was having that reintegration to my own career and creating Dixie Bird Records, it, it's play. It's just whatever it is, even if it's just going outside and playing with the dog, you know, it's like, or going for a walk in the park. But if you're thinking about it with your career, just I think we can get so bogged down with the details and like the seriousness of, of everything and we have such a clear idea of how we want things to be and it often is like so so much smaller than what the universe really has got in store for us or it's so much it's such a narrow it could be such a narrow-minded vision I never ever ever in a million years when I was living in Lancaster would have thought I'd be sat here talking to you on this amazing podcast 
doing an interview about my journey as a, as a singer and a vocal artist. There was no way, you know, and I, but I would have limited myself. My ego would have been like, okay, well, how's, where's the clear route here? You know, we can carry on doing pub gigs and, you know, go up the chain. Maybe we can go an X factor and do all that, you know, but I played. It's just have a sense of play, frivolity, just be childlike, have a childlike energy. It'll bring those things out. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Ronanson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.